Welcome to BitFaced. Kind of going off of episode 100, another question I get all the time is comedic influences in my life. And it's very easy for me to name George Carlin and Mitch Hedberg and Greg Giraldo and Jim Norton. But if you really want to go back to who really started me telling jokes, how can you not go back to one of my favorite guests to have on the podcast sitting across from me, my dad. Hey, Eric. Thanks. <laughs> Welcome to BitFaced. So as fans of the show know, we've had Dad on twice now, and we started off with video games. We moved on to talking about movies. I think we kind of have to finish the, the circle here, and today we're going to talk about music. Also joining me and Dad, Tyler Run, TRG Glaze, who doesn't think he's going to contribute anything, and Doug Lund. So where would you like to start today in a conversation about music, Dad? Because I know it's something that, that you love, and it's something that you taught me to love, whether it was through piano lessons or playing drums or driving in the car long distances across America, growing up in a military family, listening to albums together. Why do you love it so much? I think music has always been a part of my life. I had my oldest sister was seven years older than I was, so I got exposed to it back during the 45 days, and she had this 45 collection. So that would have been in the 50s. So we're talking, you know, Bill Haley in the comments. We're talking Ricky Nelson. We're talking... That whole beginning before the 60s music hit and all the uh, the differences that happened in the 60s and how the music really transitioned from the, the doo-wop, the, the moving from big band sounds of the 40s into the 50s, and then, of course, the 60s with the... Uh, and I guess that was the major influence for me because, you know, I graduated from high school in 68, so I had all of the, the protest songs of the Vietnam War, the... Uh, the uh, race-related things with all the things that was going on with, with regard to integration and that type of thing. And then the movement, you know, right after that into the 70s. The 60s were the kind of the protest years. The 70s were kind of the, you know, we're going to kind of chill out a little bit. And then the 80s, you know, kind of the happy years, I guess, is the best way. And, of course, the 70s, you know, your generation when you were born, you know, introduced the great disco era, so of which we were all proud, right? <laughs> But you act like you're you're laying blame on me for that. Isn't that your fault? <laughs> now I avoided it at all costs. But but they did influence music, and a lot of people came out of that era with that kind of music that was so so important. And uh, and people don't realize that. I mean, even though it didn't last, and people made fun of it, it influenced the whole music you know scene for that period of time. Uh, and the transitions that you know that we see happen in music between the various people that played, and you and I were talking about this the other day, in the different groups, the amazing things of who played with whom for all those periods of years. And well, he started out with him, he started with this one, Jimi Hendrix played with him before Jimi Hendrix. And it's fascinating to see you know, who these people played with if you go back and look at the kind of the string of, of you, know, where they, you know, where they started out and then, you know, where they ended up. So you say you started off with, with 45s. With, this is pre, I mean, I, the electric guitar exists, but it wasn't played the same, in the same manner? No, it was not played in the same manner back then. You got to remember when, you know, when Bob Dylan went to the electric guitar, he got booed off the stage. I mean, they hated it. Everyone hated it because it, music, as far as the fan base went, it lost its purity. I think the same thing happened with techno music to a certain extent. It loses its purity. And once we move away from that, a lot of the old school people say, wait a minute now, this is synthesized. This isn't the real thing. Very change from regular guitar to electric guitar 
was a big transition in music. Now, do you cringe uh, like I do when, and you probably, you might not have ever seen it, but people go to concerts, that's a guy with a laptop, and that's, that's who they're there to see. To me, you might have all the musical talent in the world, you're not playing an instrument. Yeah, it's kind of like Millie Vanilli and what they did with regard to their music, you know, era. They, you know, they didn't really sing. So, I mean, is synthesized music on a computer really? Yes and no. For me, a purist, no. I mean, I enjoy listening to albums. I enjoy the slight hiss. I enjoy the little bit of static. If you clean it up too much, the soul of the music's gone. For me, anyway. Now, you mentioned record albums. Uh, I've just started listening to, to records and I'll be honest, besides the hiss, I can't tell the difference, and you're going to hate this, I think CDs sound better. I don't know. It Better is, they, they have a better quality of sound, but I think, you know, growing up with the hiss and, and hearing the impurities and hearing the slight imperfections that occur sometimes when a guy's riffing on a guitar is part of it. I mean, when they were, did this in the studio, they did it in one and two takes. They didn't just, you know, they didn't spend, you know, weeks there. And they didn't have the, the, the audio systems and the amp system and everything to clean it up like we do now. I mean, it's kind of like, you know, movies. The actor doesn't have to show up anymore. They can just see GMN. The same kind of thing happens with music to a certain extent. And to be fair, Eric, you're listening to your vinyl uh, plugged into a, a speaker system in your living room. You throw a pair of headphones on and listen to the, the new Pornographer's album on vinyl versus the, the CD or the MP3. You'll be able to tell the difference. I look forward to it. I, one thing I really like about vinyl is I like the, the packaging. It, you get a big picture. A CD is a tiny, a tiny imprint of that behind the, a piece of plastic. A vinyl is, is something like, even the ones you can open, like what are they called, fold covers or whatever, I, I think that's lost nowadays, and especially with music going completely digital. I mean, even you, Dad, I, I know you have records. You were listening to Sirius XM, and you, I, I, I bet that's your number one source of music. Even you have gone completely digital now, right? Well, and, and the reason for that is, it, you know, traveling in the car, you know, long distances, you don't have the commercials. And that's, you know, that's what drives me crazy. And, and I can listen to 70s on Sirius XM and get almost, you know, no commercials at all. It's pure music, you know, all the time. But you don't find yourself, like when we were kids, bring in mixtapes or mix CDs or things like that. You depend on a service to, to get your music now. That's a huge, or has to be a huge departure than when, you know, you were in your heyday, 1968, when music was only strictly bought on, you know, on vinyl at that point, correct? Or 8-track? 8-track, yeah. That would have been the next thing before the cassettes came along. So, yeah, I had, I mean, I had stacks of 8-track, and they took up, you know, half the front seat of the car, uh, I'm serious. I mean, they're huge. I, I mean, you. yeah. I mean, you know, these huge cases that you carry around—they look like you're, you know, you were carrying around a tube or something because you wanted to make sure you had all the A-tracks that you wanted to play. But the music was incredible. I mean, I still have an A-track at home. I don't know if I have any of the. I've never seen anymore. you. I've seen you use reel to reel. I've never seen you use an A-track player though. We had A-tracks in the car. And maybe you just don't remember. Um, and then, of course, right after that, you know, cassettes came. Yeah, it, and you know, Atrex kind of went the way of Betamax, and you know, just disappeared off the face of the earth. What do you think? Do you like the convenience now better? I mean, I have every song on my phone if I want to have access to it. Or was it better to have to really, you know, save up ten bucks and buy one album, and that's the album you got that week? It, which I, I see, I see good sides of both. 
I don't think I ever spent ten dollars for an album. Maybe four ninety nine or something like that back when I bought them. Ten dollars was a lot of money back then, and and you would always look. Sometimes you would, once you had played the album over and over again, if you could find somebody to trade off, just like you know kids traded baseball cards, we would trade records and albums. I mean, it was no different. You you listen to it for a while and a while and a while, and you'd say, hey, you know, can I, you know, I'll trade you my, you know, Sergio Mendes from Brazil '66 for Herb Albert or whatever. You know, Wow, that's really going back. Man, oh man. Wow. <laughs> wow. But now like you don't have to you don't have to do that at all. You can pay the same $10 a month. And I don't I don't think you have access to every song cuz I don't think anyone will ever have that, but you do have a very big library of things to choose from. And, you know, I know you used to be a DJ. Now everyone can be a DJ. When people come over to my house, I can take requests and play them on my phone through my stereo. Is this, you know, is this making music better because it's more accessible or are, are, have we lost? There's a reason why when I was looking through albums today, top 10 album lists, and I looked through about 50 of them, they're all albums from your generation or a little bit after. There's nothing really new. Past Nirvana's Nevermind or OK Computer by Radiohead. I did not see a lot of albums that I like even that have come out in the last five years. I think what I like about the fact of what you can get music now is that People like you, your age, and even younger than you, can listen to really good music, and they have access to it. And that's one of the reasons why it's not going to go by the wayside. It's not going to happen, because it's always going to be there. And the music of the 60s and 70s is some of the best music that's ever come out. You know, no group is ever going to top the Beatles. When you have five number one uh, hits on the top 100 billboard, all the top five for weeks and weeks at a time, Who's going to, no one's done that to op- occupy the top five slots for weeks. At one point, they had 18 of the top 70 in a billboard list, yeah, which I is mean, ridiculous. I mean, there's, there's no one's, and the writing, the, the writing was, you know, so different. The way that they put music together. And then you watch the transitions of these bands. You know, even the Beatles, you know, uh, Lennon said, I'm tired of all this touring stuff. I want to go into the studio. And that's when all the psychedelic kind of music you know happened with the Beatles when then when they and they got away from there you know they were at Sullivan's 1960 you know 64 kind of music and went into the and then of course when they went to India and met with the Maharishi you know and they started using some other good stuff and you know their music their music changed but you watch that transition and you see that in a lot of the groups back then but the Beatles stayed there and they stayed there you know for a long time those four people say oh you know they broke up they broke up but they lasted longer than just about anybody in that era, uh, as far as you know the groups. I mean, there's a few others, Rolling Stones, people like that. But that group that are still four, playing, still playing today. I'm not sure how well. I mean, I saw the Rolling Stones back in the you know '60s. I mean, I'm sure they sound a whole lot different, you know, 50 years later. But and do you think? Um, and I know the Beatles lasted a long time. I think they kind of knew when to hang it up too. And I think a lot of groups have have that problem is they don't know when to, you know, when their welcome has been worn out. And the Beatles did the transition of their music from the the beginning, the you know, the bubblegum pop almost to what they ended up with later is amazing. Why don't why won't we ever see another Beatles? Everything gets topped. I I don't know that we can say you'll never see it because never is a really tough word for me, but it's gonna be. I don't know. I don't think anybody's come close. Well, yes, Tyler. Yes, <laughs> I, I have a particular opinion on this. Uh, we're 
growing as a population period we're gonna always have more people than we've ever had unless some crazy you know mass genocide of people happens we're always going to continue having more people than we've had now actually we prefer the, we prefer the word pandemic rather than genocide but go ahead sure <laughs> well <laughs> we'll see depends on i guess what kills them right but uh my point is you know beyond that we also have this absurd amount of people who are able to relay information if you were to hear of someone, it's probably because someone you know heard of them before. Whereas now, I can search something and in milliseconds, I'll have that information back to me. And so there could be someone in a basement playing something that sounds somewhat similar to something I like, and I'll find that. And we can just access information so much quicker, and there are so many more people doing it, that we probably never will see someone who consistently tops those charts in the same amount of time so yeah i i would tend to agree with you i think the other thing is is even even if you look if you go back to the 50s you know look at the influence that elvis still has today i mean he he makes more money now than he made when he was alive people still think he's alive well yeah they see him all the time <laughs> at the quickie mart and places like that yeah uh, so we, we have a difficult time letting go and the fact that we don't like to let go means that it's going to continue to exist. The other thing that happened with the Beatles is that you had basically four individuals, and we'll count Ringo in there. Um, but he had hits. He had number one hits sure. in spite of what you want to say he about him. He is not as bad of a drummer as his reputation dictates. Well, even his singing, because he didn't do a whole lot of singing at the beginning. You know, when the Beatles first started, he just played the drums, and he kind of got, you know, kind of, kind of dissed for that. But... But look at the look look at the writing Paul McCartney has done for fifty years. I mean, n nobody's written. You know, I mean, Neil Diamond. Okay, you can put him in that category. He still writes songs. Barry Manilow still writes songs. But the influence that Paul McCartney has had is incredible. And and if and if Lennon hadn't been, what would have happened? You know, with with his influence. I mean, we just don't know. Uh, so you know, we can say all we want. I mean, Ringo's still around. He's still, you know does concerts i guess uh i as i recall he's still singing his songs his you know his his voice is i guess still strong mccartney's i mean mccartney's voice is amazingly still strong i think he i think mccartney takes very good care of himself too that was the only thing ringo ever suffered from was uh being in the same group as john george and and paul because by comparison how do you hold a torch Exactly, and and I think that's what he's you know struggled with, and 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 those when when the Beatles broke up, it was the best thing that happened to all four of them, I think. Even though them as a group were amazing, them as individuals surpassed what they were as a group, I think. I think, and you think about again, look at the transitions that McCartney made. Wings, he did all the you know the stuff that he did, and even the stuff he does now, completely different kind of music. Yeah, you have to give it up to to, to Paul. Uh, McCartney and Simon, in my opinion, who is still filling up, you know, arenas and, and and playing their songs today. They come from a they come from a different era of music, and I think that there's great music now, you know. But when I go back and think of my top ten albums, if I were to list them out, a lot of them would be from the '60s and '70s. Uh, the Quadrophenia by the Who would be on my list. In uh, definitely I'm trying to think. Uh, one of the Zeppelin albums would certainly be on there. Four is the one you see most common, but Queen, 
Queen, A Night at the Opera, is on a lot of people's uh, oh, yeah. a lot of people's list. Doug is a big Queen fan. You know, oh, I thought you were say he was a queen. No. <laughs> Why not both? Yeah. <laughs> true, true there, too. Um, but so why, and that's a question I'll probably never be able to answer, but why isn't the music up to par? Was it what was happening at the time politically changing climate that influenced the songs is the reason why? And maybe we're just a, a culture that's devoid of any conflict now? No, I, 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 that may be part of it. I think the part of it has to do with work ethic. I think people in the 50s, 60s, and 70s had to work really hard to get where they needed to get. Nowadays, anybody can can make a record, can can show up on YouTube, can do this. Oh, well, he's really good. He's got 10,000 hits. Really? No one could do that before. And I think that was the point you were making, that that wasn't possible. These guys had to work for it. And when you have to work for it, you work harder for it. And I think that's one of the major differences is there was no instant notoriety for the most part. You know, we, we, we always hear about them when they've hit, when they get to the peak. But what they did to get there, Jimmy Hendrix didn't start out as great as he was. He was, you know, a two-bit guitar player. Uh, but he got himself involved with different kinds of, of groups. He got himself a different kind of a discipline. And I, think, and I think that's the main thing. It's the discipline. I think it's the work ethic and discipline, uh, you know, of artists. Everybody wants instant success. There's no such thing. It's, it looks like there is, but it really isn't true. The hardworking musicians of today's era do definitely stand out, to your point. Um, and, and there are a number of them out there. Um, what, what were the options like in the, the 50s, 60s, 70s compared to what they are now? I have to imagine that these days, just the sheer number of bands that are available uh, to, to listen to probably will impact like who can potentially top the the Beatles at some point. I don't think anyone will ever have as big a, an impact on music, but I think it's possible that something may evolve eventually where it, it may be technically better. And I don't disagree with that. Uh, but I think you're right. It has to do with, what was there, 10 record-producing companies back in the 50s and 60s? I mean, 10 really, top, you know, Capital Sun, you know, some of those. There weren't very many. And if you didn't get with one of those, you didn't have a chance. Because if, if they couldn't get the disc jockey to play your record, no one would ever hear from you, ever. And, and these record companies had that influence to say, hey, will you play you know, Joe's you know, record for us? Will you do this? Will you do this? That's what happened with, um, I can't think of the guy's name, in, in Memphis with, at Sun Records with, with Elvis and, and Roy Orbison and uh, Jerry Lee Lewis and that type of thing. He was able to influence these DJs and these, these radio stations to play these guys' songs. And people went, wow. That's good stuff. And even though it was, you know, what, what would be called rockabilly, I guess, look at the influence that that had on music and the, and the kind of music that came out of those, of those guys from the 50s. And it's incredible. And then you had the, the whole, you know, uh, Barry Gordy up in, you know, Detroit with the whole, you know, Motown kind of thing. And, and he was very selective. He had a specific thing in mind. And he groomed everybody that came into his place that he thought had talent. I mean, he designed their clothes. He told them exactly how to talk, how to wear the songs they would sing. I mean, he was very controlling, but he created a lot of hits. The Supremes, The Temptations. I mean, look at what came out of, out of Motown uh, and that influence. Uh, the, uh, you know, the sharecropper songs that they used to sing became the blues when, the, when those people moved from the South up to Chicago. And Chicago became, you know, that era that was the origin of the, of the, of the Blues Brothers and people like that. that was the, that's what happened back then. So every genre of music gets influenced by different things. You know, the 60s, it was the Vietnam War. 
listen to the songs that came out of there. They're all protest songs, you know, uh, even Credence, you know, uh, what's their big protest song? Proud Mary. Yeah, no. Oh. What is their big protest song? Tyler, nobody? I definitely would not know. Just Fortunate Son? That's it. That's okay. Yeah, that was a big anti-establishment song. You know, I remember working at, at the YMCA, and we, we used to have little sayings that would be put up on the, on the board, and we were supposed to change this, and they had written down these sayings. So I was working the desk one time, and I was supposed to make the change, and I looked at it, and I thought, this is stupid. So I put up there... The majority is not silent. The administration is deaf. And, of course, they fired me shortly thereafter because of my... But that was the era that we came out of, was the protest. I mean, LBJ and everything that happened in the Vietnam War, people, that's what those songs... That was Joan Baez. That was, you know, all those people were, you know, protesting all that. And then, like I say, the, the race issues that occurred in the 60s. And then in 68, the year I graduated from high school, okay... Bobby Kennedy and Martin Luther King both assassinated. Not that people today don't have similar events, but the events historically that happened in the 60s and 70s were pretty amazing. And anytime you have an amazing events like that, music is born of it, and, and kinds of music is born, and, and lyric of music is born based on what's happening socially, I think. I know this is some careful territory to tread upon, but there's a, a a similar movement underway right now. I could name probably a dozen songs that have to do with uh, the U.S. political events of the last six months. Yeah, and that's always going to be true. I mean, we we've always had we've always had those kinds of you know songs written. We've always had entertainers you know do what they need to do to influence some comedians, whatever. You know, they take that's that's their bread and butter with regard to their materials, what's going on in the world. And the same thing with music, because music is a way to express it. I mean, look at the folk songs that came out. You know, Bob Dylan. I mean, here's a guy that just won a Nobel Peace Prize who's been playing for 50 something years, but whose songs, if you listen to him carefully, if you can understand them, and that's one of the issues I take with Bob Dylan, his, his lyrics are amazing. I just, I just don't quite understand him sometimes. I just struggle with that. But his lyric is incredible with regard to the message he's trying to provide to people. So do we get our best music when times in this country or in the world are poor? Poor may not be the right word. Challenged, uh, disruptive, uh, Uncertain. I think uncertainty is maybe, yeah, I think maybe uncertainty is, is maybe the, the, the word that fits the best, is the uncertain nature of what's going to happen and what's going on. And we turn to music as a comfort. And I think for the public, music is a comfort. I don't care what kind of music it is, other than maybe rap music, but that doesn't comfort me very much. But go ahead. There's one thing that I wanted to make sure to ask you today, given your profession, and I think we're in the right era can we talk a little bit about the influence that drugs have on music? And uh, uh, speaking personally, there's a lot of artists that I've enjoyed um, who I thought their music suffered when they finally got clean. And I know that's a very selfish thing to say, but I, I also think it's uh, how I how I feel. Can can we talk about that? Sure, you can. <laughs> <laughs> influence comes in a lot of different forms. Obviously, altered states of consciousness influence how you're going to write, how you're going to see things, how you're going to interpret things. And music is all about interpretation. Interpretation of life events, interpretation of what's going on in your own life, interpretation of the people around you. And that interpretation is influenced by lots of different things. Drugs and alcohol 
are some of those things that do influence them. So yeah, I, I don't know how we can say that that's not true. Uh, and you're right, sometimes when people do, you know, change their lifestyle for whatever reason, uh, you know, when Meatloaf started to lose weight, I think his songs, you know, suffered somewhat, but he made a lifestyle change because of his health. So yeah, I, I don't disagree with that, Doug. I think that's, that's something we have to certainly take into consideration. But at what expense? You know, uh, what the old adage was, you know, I, I don't care if the professional football players use drugs because when they're out there, I want to see the best football player possible. And if they're dead at 30, that's not my problem. If I'm paying $100 a ticket, fine. You know, take all the drugs you want because I want to get my money's worth. Well, that's a very selfish way to look at it. Do we want, you know, do the, do the, the artists have to suffer in order to be good? Well, suffering to a certain extent is necessary in order to get a feel for what's going on. If you don't start at the bottom, you know, Johnny Cash, although I'm not a big fan, but he suffered a lot for the music that he produced. You know, Elvis was the same way. And sometimes suffering, whether it be from drugs, alcohol, or whatever, does make a person at least takes them to a different level. Maybe that's the best way to say it. It takes them to a different level. Right. Yeah, and I think, I mean, what... 27 is the age that a lot of musicians died, correct? Is it 27? That's the one that uh, Joplin, Hendrix... Um, Kurt Cobain. Uh, yeah, they were all in their late 20s. Correct. Why am I drawing a blank on the lead singer of The Doors? Jim Morrison. Jim there Morrison, you go. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and they were. They were all just right before they turned 30, which, again, back then when that music was being played, the burnout rate was really high. I mean, there's a lot of people that you never heard of that were part of that scene that were like studio musicians and everything else that just you know went by the wayside because and they never they never broke through so you never hear about them but they're they were there i think uh i don't know i, I any anything in, in small doses i don't think the beatles get sergeant pepper's lonely hearts club band without without some drugs <laughs> or the white album or the white album or i don't think you get dark side of the moon if if pink floyd isn't smoking a little reef maybe Jeff, maybe, jefferson maybe not, airplane Jeff, yeah, i mean look God, at Je yeah. yeah jefferson airplane look at i mean you know, white rabbit i mean gee many christmas and, and and if you look at the videos if you ever go back and look at these old videos that they did the you know pre-mtv stuff i mean the psychedelic the thing and people just kind of you know you know, Gracie Slick standing up there, and you know, I'm sure, sure they had her propped up. I mean, it looks like you know, gee, Minnie Gracie, did you? How did you show up for this recording here? But, uh, but we've got the same sound, the same spirit of the music. Had they not been that in in that kind of um, mindset, body set, whatever you want to call it, and and I'm not so sure that they would. Go ask Alice. Was that's the song that was playing in my head when I asked that question? White Rabbit. Yeah, that's White yeah. Rabbit. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, exactly. And, and you look at, I mean, you could even argue that, you know, John Denver's Rocky Mountain High was a drug song, and some people do. Puff the Magic Dragon, no. I, there's no way that when they wrote that song, <laughs> Peter, Paul, and Mary were thinking drugs. And, and, and Paul Stuckey's even said that. He said, you know, when that song was written, drugs were not one of those things, because he wrote it, I think, in the late 40s or something like that. And that brings up another question. Is it, is it up to him what the song's about, or is it up to me? Songs are always open to the interpretation of the listener. That's the I way think. I look at it, too. Yeah, I think so. I think that's 100% accurate. I have a song by one of my favorite bands, which obviously I'm the only one here who would like. Um, but well, who is it? A Day to Remember. Okay. Yes, you're right. Yeah, no, I know. I'm, 
I I'm speaking. I almost played factually. some of your music for Dad before we started today, just so he would have a reference. Sure, that's fine. But my point is, they wrote the song, and the lyrics to me spoke 100% to a situation that I had gone through before. But upon looking up what they wrote that song about, it was actually about um, the difficulties they had between them and the person that they had contracted with to do their newest album. And so it was entirely different than the situation that I had. They didn't write the song about you. <laughs> no, I know. Come on. <laughs> the world does resol- revolve around me. Gosh, how can they have written about me? Sorry. Cheap shot. But the fact that the lyrics matched up so perfectly and they were way different situations is it's kind of, you know, mind blowing. It's, it's really weird. You could have someone who wrote a song about, I don't know, vampires or something, and you interpret it entirely different than that. I'm not a lyrics guy. Uh, where I really started getting into lyrics, though, is through R.E.M., because I think you can take Michael Stipe's lyrics a hundred different directions. It's not as specific sounding as the, 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 the protest songs from the 60s and 70s, and you called the 80s happy earlier, and I think you're correct. I think if, in comparison, if you compare those three decades especially, 90s might be a little happier than the 80s, but no, the 80s was more of a, I mean, you got the Go-Go's coming out of the 80s. I, I want to say my, Michael Jackson, modern pop music started in the 80s. Would you guys agree? Well, you know, you had, I mean, you had pop music, obviously, in the 70s. You had pop, punk, you know, even starting, you know, back in that period of time, you know, in the 70s, more late 70s, I think. But 80s was more happy. So, so going back to your argument, were people in the 60s and 70s happier because of the drugs? Well, the music doesn't interfere because their music was miserable. It was sad. It was, it was, uh, you know, it was getting the 80s and nobody's using drugs as much because well, of the, not as much cocaine. Well, of course, in the cocaine. 80s. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, but the whole drug push, you That's know, just say no. Diva. Yeah, just say no occurred, and the 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 amount of it, I think, and maybe the. Uh, the publication of it in the news media wasn't is, wasn't as strong as it was in the sixties and seventies. So I mean, just because it's, I'm not saying it didn't exist, but I think it was a different time, and 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 eighties music is more upbeat. I mean, if you listen, it, I mean, it truly is. And you think about the groups that came out of the eighties and and the kind of music that they played, and and uh, we have to take that into consideration. I think you also have to look, and this maybe probably related to the drugs, but once uh, once AIDS hit in the eighties. The party kind of stopped for a couple years, at least as I remember it as a kid. Everyone was like, whoa, 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 whoa. You know, we need to be a little bit more responsible than I've heard the 60s and 70s were. I was born in the 70s, but I certainly don't remember it. My first memories come from from the 1980s. I think um, the 80s, though, for me, since that's where I grew up, and I know you, you don't like rap, Dad, but God, some of the rap from back in the 80s when it was just a turntable and a guy at a block party, that's a beautiful time for me to look back on that. Now, do I think rap now is, is where it needs to be? No, it's, there's a lot of terrible rap out there, but God, those original run DMC and beastie boys albums are, I I know people don't like it. Just like, I mean, you and I, there's not a country album in our house growing up and there's not a country album in my house right now. So (laughs) that some of, some of this has to translate. I think rap is one place we don't see eye to eye, but it definitely influenced Doug and I as kids. I mean, you probably don't remember, but we used to sit out back in El Paso with a Fisher Price tape recorder playing the Beastie Boys, riding our scooters around all night. I mean, that's what, that's what we did. So, I mean, that, that music was very influential to to us oh I, and i'm not i'm not you know down the music because obviously and, and what i said before is important music 
touches the listener, and the listener gets touched in different kinds of ways. And what Tyler said, you know, is so important. I, I don't know a whole lot of, of, of songwriters. I know a couple, but I've seen a lot of interviews in my years. And the message that they always give is, if I can touch one person with the, with the sound or the lyric that I've given, then I've done my job. And when you can touch thousands of people individually, you know, you hear a lyric or I hear a lyric and it hits us differently. That's a good songwriter. That's a good song. And we can, we can all listen to the same song and have a different reaction to it. Absolutely different. And that's, that's the beauty of music. If it's really good, if it's crap, then everybody goes, well, I'm not even going to listen to this. The key thing is you got to get people listening to it. I mean, look at all the songs that have been written but nobody has any idea that they exist. Do you think now, because anyone can pick up a guitar and a, a laptop, I mean, this podcast is proof anyone can can, can do anything, um, are we going to get better quality or the fact that everyone can do it, does that saturate the, the pool? I think both of those things are true. I think, I think that's the problem sometimes. Too much, and then people can't, you can't filter properly. Not enough, and you don't have enough choices. And part of the reason a lot of the music, I think, of the 50s and 60s, you know, doo-wop music is, is, you know, not very popular, but that was a cappella music, folks. There was, no, there was no fancy guitars. There was no instruments. There was no synth. These were four guys singing on the street corner. And it's incredibly Beach Boys. I was about to say the Beach Boys came directly I mean, from that's, that. That's doo wop music with a surf spin on it because they were from that area. And Brian Wilson said, "You know, we need to do some California." And said, "Yeah, man, let's do that." And it was the '60s, and they wrote songs about cars. Well, cars were a big thing in the '60s, and and so they, again, a good songwriter taps into what they think the people want to hear, will listen to, and what will touch their their hearts and their souls. That's what. That's why they become popular, I think. But that's just my opinion. I could be wrong. I want to slightly argue one thing that you said is if it's oversaturated, you can't filter properly. But there's a point where people who I might consider good would get filtered out at that point. And that's really unfortunate for them because they may be very good to a lot of people, but because of that oversaturation, they, they simply get overlooked. Do you have an example of who you think that happened to? I'm just curious. I don't. I don't per se. Okay. Um, I mean, we've met some artists recently, uh, Delver, who are fantastic musicians, and they live here locally, and they aren't super popular. Popular let yeah, super popular yet. Gosh, that was a weird sentence. I mean, I mean to be fair though, they've been around since like the beginning of the year. The beginning though, right? of the year, yeah. <laughs> so they may get popular, <laughs> but to that point, you know, as we grow, we may filter out people who are talented who are great but maybe they're just not exceptional so that could be yeah a fair and, point and that's that that's the you know the two the, the two sides of the same coin i think both of those things occur and and there's a lot of people that were very talented as for example studio musicians who went out on their own and you never heard from them again and 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 whoever they played for before didn't want them anymore because of that kind of rebel attitude and these people just disappeared off the face of the earth and they were talented people yeah, I think that's very unfortunate. And I think just the way that the machine works, it's pretty much a given that we've in this room never heard the best artists that have ever existed because they've never made it to a place where we'd be able to consume their sure. their content. I still think we've heard a lot of good stuff. One thing I want to ask all three of you today, and this is one of the only questions, prepared questions I brought 
it's your birthday this year. Any band, any time can get together and play for you. Who is that going to be? A day to remember. What a terrible living or dead. That's an option. Any any band from any any time period. Who are, who are you getting together to play live for you and your friends? See, and I know you're about to say what a terrible choice, but like that is my choice, and so it's terrible to you, perhaps, but it's not terrible to me. Or and, and terrible to all the listeners. <laughs> Maybe not. Maybe not. We have I- a day to remember has over two and a half million listeners per month on Spotify, and the Beatles, who some of you guys are referring to as the best band of all time only has 10 million so yeah they have more sure but there's a lot of people much older than i am and they're a lot younger band so i think that's not a horrible comparison there are a lot of people with less than two and a half million listeners per month i'm just gonna leave the logical fallacies right here on the table do it that's fine and we'll uh are you ready with yours i'm i'm going with the beatles i i have to i never had the chance to hear them live at my birthday party, they're going to perform the White Album start to finish. It's That's hard because, I mean, I, I was fortunate that I got to hear a lot of these people live. I got to see the Beatles live. I got to see the Rolling Stones live. I got to see Creedence live. It'd be hard to pick. And they're, they're kind of, you know, if you say Creedence, that's a different kind of music than, say, you know, Beatles. But, I don't, man, that's a tough one. I, I'd almost have to say Beatles. Or if nothing else... You know, Paul McCartney and one of his, because even, you know, Paul McCartney and Wings was incredible. I mean, solo. So that's, I don't know. That's like asking what your favorite movie is. Well, you know, we, we kind of have to go down that road. The Talking Heads would be playing my birthday party. Uh, because they they broke up right when I got into them. And I never got a chance to see them live. And all of the recordings I've gone back and dug up, it sounds like it'd be a really, a really good time. I mean, another group I'd have to mention just because of the instrumental aspect of it, Chicago. I mean, yeah. Chicago's absolutely oh, yeah. amazing uh, how they put the uh, the instruments together for that group. But if you think about that, you go back to uh, to groups uh, like, and it just left my head, uh, that had the trumpets and everything, you know, uh, in the '60s groups, and and they just, you know, people didn't, you know, care much for that. But then Chicago came along and completely changed, you know, the sound, and and you know, I. Chicago would be a tough one for me to turn down because the music is incredible, and I've seen them live. So that's a you know that's a, the benefit that I had is these groups back then. You people, you know, they didn't. You guys have tough time getting tickets, and they're you know thousands of dollars to go. We could go and and be in the back and kind of sneak up to the front for five bucks or ten bucks or you know fifteen dollars. I mean, it's 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 different because everything. Not that it wasn't about money then, but it's really about money now. I think. That again, no, and, and it's a reason why there's a formula for every Katy Perry song, or you know, who's the one you like, Kelly Clarkston. All of that is done on a on a on a chart. And I like Taylor Swift. I'm not throwing you under the bus here. So <laughs> Taylor Swift, Katy Perry, Kelly Clarkson, it's all done mathematically. Like that's how those songs are written. And I think that's uh, to to Dad's point, that's the laziness. Uh, You're not writing songs. I think you could go to a point where like we advance in AI enough and all songs and all sounds could be mathematically, mathematically, you know, computed. I think that takes, that takes the beauty out of it. I don't think you have a band like Husker do with a, with a math problem. I don't, I don't think you get that. (laughs) I think you could. There's your uh, episode title right there. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I, I, I don't think you do. I don't think you get Nirvana's nevermind like that. 
I, I think nowadays they tell Kurt Cobain, you know, it's 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 a little nasally. Would you try would you try singing it a little bit differently? I I I think that's and that's one of the reasons why Radiohead and Nirvana are the last two albums you see on best of lists. That's kind of where it stops. When I get out of high school, Doug gets out of high school. That's it. No offense to two and a half million Data Remember fans, but you don't see them on the top thousand best albums of all time. There, there's something to be said for that, and that's kind of what I'm trying to figure out: is why did all the good music come from the '60s and '70s? Good is such a debatable <laughs> word. I mean, it really is. Like, you're right, and, and it does boil down to subjectivity sure. at, at that point. But again, if we go on the criteria of having an impact on the music that comes after it, I think that's the, the really the only metric that that, and even that one's a little well watery, right? A little yeah. gray. As much as I want to live forever, if we look 200 years in the future. And we say, what the fuck is this music, you know? And uh, it's going to be way different than anything we have right now. And But I think in 200 years, people will still be spinning Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. Maybe. Not a day to forget. <laughs> <laughs> maybe. And that's the thing. None of us know right now. Can any of you tell me what's going to happen 200 years in the future? I don't think so. I can look back at the last hundred years of music though and tell you what's happened and when you listen to some of those Beatles albums whether you like them or not and I'm not the biggest Beatles fan in the world they influenced everybody just like Elvis did just like Jimi Hendrix did to an extent a lot of that is is all back from that era well the thing is is the people that then you mentioned Jimi Hendrix there's probably not going to ever be well again I don't like not never a guitar player like that I mean unbelievable and and i know there's some great guitar players out there but he's the benchmark that we you know we kind of set there as for you know guitar play i think anyway Clap, we, clapton eric clapton's the other one yeah and you know jimmy page yeah so yet again all three from that that era it, that's, i'm not naming that, anybody that, that's the point that i'm making is, is where did they all come from even and, prince to an extent even though he's 80s he learned how to play i would say around, oh yeah around then right yeah so I would like to pose a question, like based on that particular fact, we have all of these new guitarists who are able to listen to and learn from that and potentially improve upon it, but I don't think they're ever going to be considered better, but I think that's because of a cognitive bias that we have of Jimi Hendrix is the best or these other people are the best. Some of these other people could play in a much different and potentially better or more technical manner. No one's going to see that. And I think part of it is it has to do with what the technology is, Tyler. I think people are suspicious because they're not really sure if this is really the guy playing or has it been modified. That's, I think, the purity of it, I think, is where the question is going to come in. In fact, I don't disagree. I think there probably are talented guitar players out there. I, I, I would agree with you. We, you know, we never thought we were going to see you know, the trumpet players that we had or the, the uh, you know, the Glenn Millers or the, you know, Benny Goodman or that type of thing. And yet we have people that do play trumpets, that do play, you know, saxes, that do play, I mean, uh, clarinets better than those people did. I mean, you think about uh, Kenny G. I mean, who would have thought that we'd get somebody to come along with a sax, could play the saxophone like he could, given who we had beforehand. So you're right. But it has to do, I think, with people are suspicious too because they think, yeah, Jesus, was this really done this way? Was it, you know, was it, did they clean it up in the studio? Can this guy really play? Uh, you know, that was the whole thing that the monkeys went through is everybody claimed that they didn't play their own instruments. Well, that's the most ridiculous. How could they not play their own instruments? I mean, wouldn't people have noticed that? 
And yet that was one of the big accusations against the monkeys. Now, the monkeys, you can say what you want to, they influenced the music scene, if not the television scene, just because of their hokiness. And, they and don't get credit. They have a they lot of good don't. songs that no one has ever heard of. All the, the popular ones are okay, but they have a lot of deep cuts on some of their albums that are great. I think they're amazing. Yeah. But, but look at who wrote some of their songs, though. Neil Diamond. Yeah. Look at... Brian look Wilson. At, yeah, Brian. Look at Carole King. She doesn't get the credit that she gets. She's the most, one of the most incredible lyricists and songwriters that came out of the 60s and 70s, I think, and still influences music today. And she still sings today. And she was able to modify her song um, subject matter based on what was going on. And she's brilliant. But, you know, you, you go up to somebody nowadays, what do you think about Carole King? Oh, was she the, on the Brady Bunch? No, no, no. That was Carol Brady. What do you mean? You know, I mean, I'm serious. Carol King was an, an, she is an incredible artist. And you talk to some people that they have no idea who she is. None. Unless they saw her in the Gilmore Girls. Oh, was she on Gilmore Girls? Yeah, she played a, she was a music store owner or something like that on the Gilmore. And she did the title song for the, for the, for the TV show. Oh, wow. But look at the songs she wrote. And look at the songs other people, you know, made famous but she wrote them look at the list of songs bob dylan's the same thing he wrote a lot of songs for other people that he didn't necessarily do or didn't want to do he said the song's crap somebody else took it and said we'll sing this and i think that a lot of popular music is is written by 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 the fewer i guess i i like uh, i like a band i still don't like when i turn on radio and i hear a drum machine i can't stand it it doesn't sound right to me i want a drummer i want a bassist i want a guitarist and i want somebody up there i want somebody up there belting it out i and i don't know why either i can't stand i can take it a little bit one guy with a guitar though for 45 minutes get off the stage man i want drums i want me that's and that's just how i was how i was raised do you guys have the same you know is there a part of music that you won't listen to i mean country we've already brought up but is there something you don't enjoy Adding in some of those extra instruments adds in different, you know, tempo and different styles of music. And it, it can speed it up or it can slow it down and it can do a lot of different things. And I agree, you know, one dude, acoustic guitar, one dude, guitar, period. Like, it doesn't sound the same as having those accompanying parts. I'm going to argue with Eric a little bit because we saw a fantastic uh, example of one man and one guitar so entertain us for two solid hours just a month ago. And I... That shows you right there how quality Bob is. And it wasn't acoustic, even though I would have enjoyed the hell out of that too. He went solo electric. No one does that. And that's, I mean, I, I'll go see Bob again as soon as I, I see another tour schedule. That that show blew me uh, blew me away. No, I don't like the the one guy with a guitar whining. <laughs> and uh, I, I, I guess I tend to prefer my music a little bit more upbeat. Um, I dated a girl that that's all she's into is like it's country, but it's not like Travis Tritt country. But God, man, she burned me a couple CDs and I I can't stand it. It just, it does nothing for me. I and maybe it's the drums that I miss, and I I think that's what I always listen to the drums on a song first. I'm the same way. It, it, the drums, and I really go with a good keyboard or piano. And and, and a piano is a percussion instrument. There's no question in my mind. I mean, well, it's a string. Now, it's a percussion. And when you're, you know, somebody's banging out on a piano and you've got a, you know, drum in the background and you've got a, that's all you need. And keyboard players are amazing. I mean, look what, you know, look what the Who did with keyboard. And, and of course, part of it had to do with, with when he received that, that duplicator in the mail 
And that's when all those Who songs came out where he was able to just push one button and get it to repeat the same notes again, like in uh, Bab O'Reilly. I mean, that's what, that's, he's not playing those notes. Oh, no, I know. Yeah, it's just being duplicated by this, this duplicating machine, whatever it was. I mean, it's, just, it's the same instrument and everything, but it was able to do the keys for him. But look at those songs like that. Uh, you know, another group that we, I think we kind of left out, but I really still enjoy listening to is Grand Funk. I think Grand Funk had some incredible songs. And again, you go out on the street and you ask somebody, oh, I've never heard of them, man. What is that? Grand Funk Railroad were, were amazing. And and I can't, I can't, and, and not that I don't listen to music from the 90s, but I can't say that, wow, this is a group that was, you know, I just, you know, and, and like you're saying, the 60s, 70s, even early 80s groups, you can't touch them. I mean, you, it, my, again, my opinion, and I know I'm, you know, I'm older and I'm probably more influenced by that. Is it like comedy? Has every joke been told? Has every song been played? You know, if we're talking about movies, I would say yes, because we keep doing the same movies over and over again. So uh, I think, we, you know, there's only so many words. There's only so many subject matters that you can write about. I think it's the spin that you put on it. And I think that's what makes the difference in, in music is the kind of spin that you put on it and, and what people are able to do with what's been going on. But look at all the remakes we get. In, in all the genres, in music, in movies, in, you know, comic books. You know, when I talk about things, I mean, there's a lot of repetition. I mean, movies are the worst. You know, when we're doing, you know, Rocky 25, and, you know, Sylvester Stallone has, you know, got a walker, and I'm going, hey, you know, I'm thinking, really? Come on, you know, so I hang it up. But hopefully that's not true. I, I, would, I would be saddened if I thought that there was no creativity left. Or that nothing new would come out. That would sadden me. Movies are one thing. I think music is a little different. They say imitation is the highest form of flattery. When a band that's kind of established their success already in their sound, when they cover an older song, I think it's uh, I think it's an homage to the roots. Um, and sometimes, and there are some rare cases, and I may blaspheme myself a little bit here, like I'll use uh, Aerosmith's, uh, cover of that the Beatles song. I actually prefer the Aerosmith version, even though I really like the the original. Um, so there there is the potential for something better to come from something original like that. But I don't know, Eric. To your point, uh, there are only so many uh, quote unquote popular chord progressions, uh, circles of fifths, um, combinations of tones, etc. And I don't like to like I did with film. I kind of ruined it by studying it. I know musical notes and things like that, but I don't want to know the scientific formula for how they put these pop songs together because I'll completely lose interest at that point. I do like a lot of cover songs, though, better than the originals. Uh, one that people hate me for, I think Ring of Fire by Social Distortion sounds better than Johnny Cash's version. I do. It, it sounds better to me. Tyler has no idea what we're talking about. <laughs> Johnny Cash was a country western singer. I know who Johnny <laughs> Cash is. He's a wife named June Carter Cash. I actually did not know that. They were both <laughs> very amazing. Oh. How did June Carter Cash did music or something? Yeah, she before they even got married, she was kind of on her own oh. doing June Carter was Wait, you haven't seen that uh the biopic movie they did with uh Walking Phoenix? Ring of Fire. Is that what it's called? Yeah, it's no, called it's Ring... Walk the Line. Oh, Walk the Line. I knew oh. it was, I knew it was one of the two songs. <laughs> There's yeah. uh yeah. D- just watch that. Okay. Sounds good. That'll probably teach me everything I need to know about it. And then after that, watch Dewey Cox 
<laughs> which is a parody of of that movie, and and I think both are really good for for different reasons. I haven't seen the latter. Oh, it's it's quality. Are we? We're close to time here, aren't we? We're just at an hour right now. Okay, so we're we're at time. Um, uh, we can keep going for a little bit, but one thing I do want to know from you guys: uh, you guys are going to have to pick an album, just one. Uh, and I'll 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 start. I'm going to go with Murmur by REM. I can put that on any time, any day. I can listen to it in the car. I can listen to it when I'm sad. I can listen to it when I'm happy. I know every lyric on that uh, album, even the ones that are unintelligible, according to Michael Stipe, that he doesn't remember what they are. I have my own lyrics to that record. That's that's my favorite record of all time. Are we waiting for someone else to go? Probably the guy that hasn't been on his own podcast and on his phone the whole time. <laughs> I've spoken a few times. I've had some opinions on some things. You don't have to go next. I just I don't know what I'm going to say yet. I mean, mine is going to be one of the first two A Day to Remember albums, and you guys already know that. So, I I I would have to go with Pink Floyd, The Wall. That that's an incredible album. I mean, and. And then the Sgt. Pepper album. I mean, both of those are amazing, amazing albums. So I know you don't like me to not say more than one, but it's hard. No, I, I mean, I'd, I'd have two or three that come to mind. Sgt. Pepper's is definitely my favorite Beatles album. The Wall is not my favorite Pink Floyd album, though. Metal is. Well, yeah, that's true. But I think that the traditional aspect of the music on The Wall is what's amazing. Yeah, The Wall is uh, is good. And you don't see a lot of that high concept anymore there's a reason there's a lot of double albums in the 60s and 70s and you don't really see a lot of double albums nowadays no no except by a day to remember they've got a really good double album Mm, i don't think so because they couldn't put it together (laughs) i think they could have all right if i've got to pick one i'm going with uh pretty hate machine by nine inch nails i figured you'd you'd go that direction and it's a great album it is and it it changed Again, not only music, because I think Trent Reznor can claim a lot of influence on a lot of the stuff that we listen to today, uh, building on the the shoulders of the the sounds that came before him. Um, but it set me on, I think, the path of the music that I was going to listen to for the rest of my life. And I think that's uh, that's important, too, that when you look back on music, a lot of times we all tie it into a girl we were dating, the car we had at the time what was going on in the movies at that time, you know, what grade we were in, uh, what job we had. I, and I think music continues to influence me in that way. Music is, it's, it's time for me. You can remember when you bought certain albums. You can remember when you heard songs for the first time. I love exploring music. In fact, anytime I can find something by a band I've never heard before, it gives me a feeling of elation that I cannot describe. What was the one that we just recently heard that's really good? Clap your hands, say yeah. Clap your hands, say say yeah. And I think, too, that what we have where you can put on a band and then it'll play you five artists that they think you might like, even if you end up only liking one of those artists, it's a great way to explore everything that's uh, that's out there. How we found uh, Sebado, who I've heard of before. I never realized how amazing they were, and their albums came out when I was in high school. Uh, it's it's good to go back and and look at that. Who's an artist that you guys discovered that you wish you would have discovered a lot earlier? Wow, yeah, that's a really tough one for me. 
I mean, clearly, since music has been around much longer than I have been, uh, there's so many, so many bands that I could name. Believe it or not, some of my favorite music, I'm not actually a huge fan of some of the, you know, 70s and 80s music or 60s or whatever. I'm not a huge fan of a lot of those. Uh, but I do like, and I can't name any of them, but I do like a lot of swing and jazz music. I find that I enjoy that way more than I enjoy some of the Beatles or Pink Floyd. And to me, personally, I enjoy the sound a little bit more. Yeah, I, you know, I would, that's something I've started to listen to more of than I had in the past, and it was before my generation, was 40s music. And, you know, I listened to the 40s channel on, on the satellite radio, and the music's amazing. The, 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 again, the purity of it, the, uh, the, the rhythm of it was, you know, you listen to Glenn Miller, you listen, you know, you and I the other day listening to jazz, you know, driving up to Breckenridge. I mean, wow, I mean, that's just... That's just unbelievable music, and 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 that's a mainstay too. We can say what we want to about sixty seven, but that music is still around as well, and and people still listen to it, and people still listen to the blues, and still listen to all these things, and they still exist. We we don't want to we don't want to you know knock them down in favor of punk and rock and all these other things because these other kinds of genre are also as important, I think. And I agree with you, Tyler. I think that's something we you know, we have to look at. And it is, it's so individual. Music is such an individual thing. We have four people in this room, and if we had 20 people in this room, we have 20 different opinions. And we've got four different opinions. That's a good thing. We don't want everybody thinking the same way about music. You know, I'm surprised you didn't bring up, you know, your you know your your group that you're so infatuated with. It's not even been mentioned today. Did you do that deliberately? I'm not. I'm not as into it as I used to be. Okay, I've I've completely kind of dropped out of that. But that that music and fish is who we're talking fish. about no, know, represents yeah. a, uh, a a certain period in my life that Thank I would you. not trade for anything in the world. And just like you pass music down to me, that's one of my biggest influences on Melinda. She took my fandom of fish, and she is completely on the next level as far as what she uh she thinks about that band now i mean if i was hard pressed now to name my five favorite bands fish wouldn't make the top five i can tell you no they, they wouldn't they're 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 great and they were great for a certain time for me and i still can go back to two or three of their albums and i love them start to finish they changed musically for me and i don't know if to doug's point it was because that they stopped partying and stopped doing the drugs it doesn't sound as good to me anymore and i didn't stop partying so it, it, it should it should still <laughs> sound as good but it it just doesn't that musically they went to a place i don't i don't like how it sounds anymore do you still have your basketball i do okay i do um i absolutely do still have that no and and, and again that that all represents a, a time in my life just like rem does um, you know, just like Led Zeppelin, Ryan Curley, who just wrote a song for us, introduced me to Led Zeppelin in college, next door to me in the dorms, introduced me to the police. Uh, you know, there's a lot of uh, a lot of things like that. I take a lot from my my friends. When my friends can turn me on to a, a good band, that's a sign of a good friend, don't you guys think? The other thing is, is I'm go ahead. You didn't get a chance to say. I'm gonna go old school. I'll make this quick. Uh, Beethoven. Uh, I wish, wish I would have. Yeah, that's wish one. I would have started listening to it a, a lot sooner. I think um, my appreciation of a lot of different music would be changed. So, yeah, and and it's too bad that we don't have the influence of the classics in you know for for kids anymore or people growing up because you're right, and that's the music you can listen to because it's non copyrighted. You can play it as much as you want. Nobody owns it. 
No one's going to sue you. You can use it for all kinds of things. But if you look, if you look at the at how music developed in, in diversity, and I was I, I I called something up just to just to you know demonstrate that you know a group we haven't mentioned at all, and maybe because it was disco with the Bee Gees, but the Bee Gees influenced you know the music scene a lot more than people I think give them credit for. And um, see, that's 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 one of those that like the Bee Gees and the Eagles, man. I. It's just not. I know you, how can you not like the Eagles? I can't stand it. I know you can't. I never understood that. You either? No, I'm not. Do you know who they are? <laughs> I could honestly. I couldn't really name a song for you if you asked me to. Hotel really? California. Hotel California. Are you kidding me? Yeah, uh, I mean, I've heard that song for sure once. I'm a Bee Gees fan too. Um, yeah. I was fortunate though. That I I got to work in a music store for six, seven years of my life, and it made me dry on a lot of different things but it also opened uh me up to listening to all kinds of influences i never would have had and i, I a lot of that uh the late 70s early 80s stuff is is a byproduct of that bg's are great i have to bring this up because i did the research on it because i wanted to know september 13th 1976 the number one song was casey and the sunshine band shake your booty and that was the day that Eric was born. So I love it. <laughs> nice. I, I couldn't pick a better song than that, or, or a better football team. So you know, hey, I'll, I'll take that all day. That's what I thought you would say. That's that's a that's a good way to uh, to end t- today. I think we had a really good discussion about music, and that's uh, that's exactly what I wanted to do. Thank you so much for uh, not only to come visit. Uh, it's interesting on social media. I can look back two years now. I can look back a year now, and now I can look back today that you've recorded with us from. The cardboard box days. In fact, I think, Dad, your first episode is episode 13 of yeah. BitFaced, if I'm, I'm not correct. I think so. So I can mark each year with you coming into the Bit Cave and gracing us with your presence. I think the cave even today looks different than when you were here last year. In fact, when I looked at the pictures, I was like, wow, we didn't have anything up last May when you were here. The one thing that really hasn't changed is the stipend that I get for doing this, and, and that has remained <laughs> the same. But that's fine with me. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here. It's, it's nice to be asked. It's nice to... To be in a in a place with a with family member and his friends to be welcome, and I appreciate that. Well, and and, and we loved having you. Uh, so we are going to wrap here today. Even though I will wrap, and then there's something I do want to record, but we're it's more project challenge related. Uh, uh, we'll we'll get to that in a second. But yeah, here from the Bit Cave uh, again. Hard pressed. I've been asked who my favorite guest on the show was. Carrie Keegan was number one, but my dad is a very solid number number two. To my right, uh, my lifelong friend. Dad has also known him uh, pretty much, you know, our whole life, uh, and that's what we're going to get into on PC in a second. Uh, Doug oh, Lund. No, <laughs> he threw out a number that is that is longer than you guys have been alive. So I'm going to assume there was some like uh, some parental, you know, meetings before he knew you. We actually pulled Eric out of school and put him in a private school because of Doug. No, that's not true. I, and I want Doug to make sure that he knows that that's not true. Because he, he thinks that that's true, and that isn't true at all. I would believe that. It wouldn't surprise me if it was true. No. Nor would I blame you. <laughs> no. That's, that's not what happened. No, uh, not at all. I'm, I had to bring that up, though, because I knew that was something that... Anyway, you can, <laughs> cut, you can cut all this out. No, we're, we're leaving all this in um, because my editor, the guy to my left, doesn't actually edit anything. Tyler Runtier G. Glaze. I'm Eric G. Hollis, probably going to be the new editor of BitFaced, and we are out. Now, I wanted to ask you about...